Welcome to episode 272 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our topic this week, we're going to chat about synthetic biology and the new categories of emergent life that result. So this is inspired by an essay written by Rebecca Wilbanks, who's a postdoctoral fellow at the Berman Institute of Bioethics and also at uh, Johns Hopkins University. She wrote an essay called, If We Made Life in a Lab, Would We Understand It Differently?, which is featured on aon.co, and we'll link to that in our show notes. So when we consider synthetic biology, I had not, Dirk, actually uh, thought of this before, but the creation of DNA sequences in the lab via a computer, uh, you know, you're essentially, you know, using DNA as your design material. And we've discussed that a number of times on the show previously, but we've not really considered how those forms of life, that emergent life that is created by the DNA, like what that does to the sort of classification, the taxonomy, and more importantly, uh, you know, this, this idea of, you know, evolving life over time. So the premise of the essay that Rebecca Wilbanks wrote was that, you know, we're, we're entering this, this uh, sort of unknown country, right, where we're starting to introduce designed organisms for the first time. And, you know, I'm using that as a very broad uh, statement, you know, everything from, you know, modified E. coli bacteria to, you know, I would even include also all the genetically modified organisms that we have as part of our uh, food cycle now. So we know that companies are modifying everything from corn to rice to tomatoes to create food that is longer lasting, more nutritious, resistant to herbicides, things like that. But really what we're doing is we're breaking the chain of evolution at a certain point. And human beings have always sort of mucked with this as, you know, we've bred animals and changed, you know, the direction of things. But we've really relied on mother nature to a great extent. And, you know, that's been ongoing before humans were ever on the planet, you know, for billions of years. So for the first time, we're really looking at uh, new types of life, whether it's, you know, bacterial life or plant life, and then eventually uh, human life that will be different fundamentally in sort of the way that it's constructed moving forward. So, Dirk, when you first laid eyes on that essay, I, I know I, uh, that was my, uh, my thought for this week that we should dive into this. But, you know, what, what were your first impressions? Of course, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's essentially a technology that is giving us more tools to craft life in the future. And the, the form it takes, the nature it takes are all things that I think are interesting. Um, the thing that I primarily was thinking about was the fact that we are so dramatic about our creation of life or our alteration of life. You know, the notion of nature and how nature, things that are natural are okay and good. Human design and things that we're doing intentionally are bad. Um, uh, you know, certainly not everyone believes that, but there is that 
cultural undercurrent, and a lot of people believe it. The whole thing makes no sense to me, and and here's why. I mean, the world has been changing since, and I guess for the world, I'll use Earth for the moment. The, the, the planet Earth has been changing ever since it began, and it's changing due to a variety of forces and factors. Some of those factors are things that we will call living beings. You know, you have the, the chaos theory, the butterfly flaps its wings in South America, and you have a hurricane somewhere else in the world. I mean, that is an example of a living creature acting and through their action, changing the planet, changing life, making things different. So someone might argue with that example, well, the butterfly didn't intend anything. The butterfly is just flapping its wings. Fine. So instead you have a shark that eats a dolphin that is going to have even bigger and more direct impacts than the butterfly flapping its wings. It is an intentional act. It is the shark doing something to act on the world and the world thereafter is forever changed. This is life. (laughs) This is nature. And we too are part of nature. And so if in synthetic biology, we're exploring the question of life and um, generating new forms of life and uh, making advances that will change the shape of future life, to me, that's no more uh, contentious than than anything else. Where where it should matter, where where we should be critical, where we should be questioning is about impacts. The very fact that it's happening is nature. We are part of nature. The things we do are part of nature. Just like a butterfly, just like a shark. Just because we're smarter doesn't mean that suddenly it becomes something that, oh my God, we're, we're imposing on pristine nature. We're part of that same continuum as the shark eating the dolphin. The problem is we have the capacity to think about the impacts of the things that we do. And we don't think about the impacts and manage the things that we're doing mindful of and taking care of our species, the planet, the future, what have you. So reading the article took me a lot to that space that um, it's cool. It's interesting. I'm fascinated by what's going on, but there's this existential crisis around humans pursuing these sorts of technology and activities when there's nothing that is um, that is sacrosanct in the process. We're part of nature just as much as anything else. This is nature continuing to move forward, continuing to change itself. Where we need to be critical is what are the impacts of it? And we should be mindful of those impacts in the choices that we're making. But the fact that we can make major changes to nature, we're part of nature. We're part of this system. It's a system. And it changes itself. It has since the beginning of the frickin' rock, when it first first came to be. So uh, I, I can feel, I feel strongly about some of this stuff, as you can tell, John. Yeah, I, I can tell. So I think another interesting point that Will Banks raised, you know, over the course of this essay was about the uh, sort of dual nature of designed life forms in that we have a DNA code that is, you know, appearing on our computer screen or what have you. And you make changes to that code and then, you know, in theory, those changes get realized in the biology of whatever organism it is that you're working on. Uh, so, so that's very different uh, from the way that human beings are, you know, sort of currently uh, reproduce our DNA. Of course, we can sequence, et cetera, but there's no 
you know, the original source material for ourselves is not that code. It can be uh, reverse engineered. And then, uh, you know, I, I imagine at some point in the future, you could, you know, in theory, be cloning people. But there's this idea that the information and the physical rendering is much more akin to something that you would get, you know, if you were building a building or if you were uh, had a blueprint for a product or software or what have you. The information and the and the physical form have have sort of a one to one relationship. And so, moving forward, you know, the evolutionary model's been sort of the model for the change in in life, you know, for billions of years. We are now enabling this design model to coexist uh, in the same space as, you know, natural evolution. So I think the point is that there are two very different approaches. One is, can human beings understand the design patterns that life has so far provided and make tweaks to those or even make our own, you know, patterns going forward, uh, sort of existing in the same space as this, you know, evolutionary Darwinian uh, system that has up till now done a you know a, a decent job of of creating this uh, uh, this world we live in. So I think that's an interesting juxtaposition, and I you know I I don't know what the implications of that are. I mean certainly we're not going to go mucking around with every single species of plant and animal. I wouldn't think. Well, we may eventually. I mean who who knows what we're going to learn about the the how the ecosystem that we're a part of operates and how it needs to be changed in order to make the world better minimally for ourselves, but ideally for, for everything. So there's nothing in our field of vision that would lead to trying to change the DNA of all the plants, but who the hell knows, right? Who knows? Yeah, I, I think this becomes increasingly significant when you start talking about doing things like creating replacement organs, right? So, so in theory, you know, maybe we're, we're a bit far off from, you know, the entire human being, but closer still perhaps to uh, replacement organs, which, you know, fail people on a regular basis, whether it's, you know, a kidney or, or maybe even a heart. Um, so you're, you're talking about uh, a piece of the, you know, the human organism that can eventually be designed almost in the same way that you design a product, right? And this is the uh, the question. I think is is that our evolutionary destiny to start, you know, shaping our own evolution going forward? Sort of a, a heady question, but uh, nonetheless, I think when we start talking about synthetic biology, um, these are the kinds of questions that come up are are we in the driver's seat now right are are we our own designers i don't know um the sci-fi geek in me likes to think so well we certainly aren't there yet no no and 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 i think uh you, you know we've made this point before there's the things that we're trying to create the the bumpers for the bumper cars right like think about the ethics of this so you know we don't stumble into the future but at the same time, we're still very much at the flying cars stage, right, of futurism when we're talking about where synthetic biology will go. We just don't know what we don't know. But if you had told me in my biology class when I was learning about kingdom and phylum and, you know, uh, genus and class and species, right, 
that we would be potentially creating new categories within that, I, I wouldn't have believed you, you know, in, in, you know, when I was wearing those things. Yeah, the world is different since uh, the 50s or 60s when you were going to school. Or, or when were you going to school, John? Yeah, more like the 80s, but <laughs> that, that will be uh, – that would be unfortunate if it was 50s or 60s. Well, the world's changed quickly, right? I mean, it's only been a few decades. And, and in that period of time, it's gone from your, yourself as someone who, who's well-educated and thoughtful, not even considering the possibility of other species being invented and created and brought to life by humans outside of, you know, a, a Frankenstein movie, uh, to that, you know, being being sort of, uh, clearly where the technology is headed, even though it's not realized yet today. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting questions wrapped around there, but a lot of them, a lot of it is just masturbation until we get to the point of it being more real. Because right now there's a lot of possible futures that can come from where the technology is today. Uh, many manifestations, you know, from the more benign, you know, dealing with uh, viruses or, or bacteria or, or more simple creatures, let's say, to you know the the this the sort of nightmare scenarios for a lot of people of human changes, human cloning, human you know humans developed in a lab, and so both from the standpoint of technology, but also from the standpoint of like policy and society, where where all of this is going to net out, it's just way too early to tell. But it, it sure is interesting. Yeah, I think uh, we'll wrap with another uh, final thought from this essay by Rebecca Wilbanks. And she notes at the end that design and evolution are not necessarily in opposition to each other. So it's not an either or scenario. I think we can already see that in uh, the sort of the GMO the success of, of certain uh, GMO products, right, that are integrated into our food system. We, we don't even know the difference, right? Um, and so those are evolved, right, but also tweaked by science. And, and that may be the, the amalgam, right? That, that might be what it is moving forward. Well, but, and, and GMOs, though, going back to the beginning, are a perfect example of are not thinking about the impacts of the things that we're creating. Because in the GMO category, there are numerous examples of things that have negative downstream consequences on environments and ecosystems. But, you know, they were, they were rushed to market by companies looking to make profit off of them. And that's the thing that we need to avoid. So GMOs are not in and of themselves bad. What's bad is when we don't think carefully about the consequences before just running and, and, and implementing things and, and unintentionally destroying and making worse bigger environments just for the gains of the few. Listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we were mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everyone, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you'd like to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging tech, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at dnemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thanks so much for listening. So that's it for episode 272 of The Digital Life. 
For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time.